name is Danielle Walker. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and we are continuing in the book of John today. We're in John chapter 8, and if you are here in our midst, you probably have realized that we have communion today. But if you're joining us online, hello, um, you, depending on the camera angle, may not see what's right here. I don't know what you can see. Um, So if you are sitting at your kitchen table or you're on your couch, feel free to get up and go get a bagel or a cracker or juice, coffee, water. Um, God can make anything sacred. He's really good at that. He can make anything sacred. So grab that, and we're going to be celebrating communion in just a little bit. So let's go ahead and read in John chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 12 today. And it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. But Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus' public ministry on earth lasted um, about three years. It took about three years for the religious leaders to get what they had wanted for a long time which was his arrest um, and his death. Um, They'd wanted that for a long time, but in those three years, um, Jesus did a whole lot of stuff. He did a lot of stuff. He said a lot of stuff. Jesus accomplished a lot in three years. And in fact, as John ends his gospel, he says, if someone were to write down everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said, In this three years of his public ministry, the world, the entire earth, could not hold all of the books. So in saying that, if there is a detail in Scripture, in the Gospels, it is there for a reason. Because the Gospel writers did not waste words. They chose very carefully of all the things they could say of Jesus. They wrote certain ones down. Every word has a purpose, most especially in John. John is very precise about his wordage. That is just who he is. He's very big on that. So um, we saw in chapter 7, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, We saw in chapter 7 of John, verse 2, which we read several weeks ago, that the time for the Feast of Tabernacles was drawing near. Very easy detail to read over, right? 
Very easy. Um, when we get to the near end of chapter 8, which is where we are today, the Feast of Tabernacles is wrapping up. It is almost coming to a close. Now, in fact, in John 9, which is where we're going to be in two weeks together, um, that is the pinnacle. That is like the culmination of all of the Feast of Tabernacle. It's in John chapter 9. That's in two weeks. Like, what will you do until we get there? It's like, how could I do this to you? There's such a cliffhanger. <sighs> how will you live? But I, I'm a nerd, so I'm like super excited about it. I'm not going to lie. You're going to forget. But I'm super excited. Um, but to sum it all up, okay, John 7 through 9, Feast of Tabernacles. That is what is going on. Okay, so the Feast of Tabernacles was um, and is still one of the three major celebrations in Jewish life. You had the Feast of Passover. You had the Feast of Pentecost. And you had the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles was instituted by God. It was his idea. All of them were his idea. Um, and you can read about it in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Ezra, Nehemiah. It's a big deal. It's, a very, it's a still a big deal. Um, in fact, in Jewish life, currently, the annual celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles started last Monday, September 20th, and it ends tomorrow, September 28th. Um, so we are almost, almost literally studying this passage when it would have happened, like almost 2,000 years ago. That's crazy. That's like not my timing. That just is God's timing. I don't know how that happened, but it did. Here we are. Here we are. Um, so the festival is always at the end of the harvest season. You can think about it as the Jewish Thanksgiving, okay? Um, except it's eight days. And they ate a lot of bread, so that's like very high carb. Um, so think about Thanksgiving, eight days, okay? That's what it is. That's a lot of eating. And they celebrate how the Lord God not only provided for them, through that harvest of that particular year. Um, but most importantly, they are remembering every year how the Lord God provided for them in the wilderness, in the days of Moses, when the Lord God provided freedom for his people from Egypt, from their slavery. The Lord God brought them out of Egypt and he did not lead them out, drop them in the wilderness and go, my work here is done. You are free. He did not do that. He kept leading them. He kept sustaining them every single day. Um, he provided for the next 40 years. From the point when they were freed from Egypt to the moment when they got to the place they were meant to get to, which was the promised land, which we know of as Israel, okay? 40 years. Um, it was about 40 years between those two things. If you, in your own life, have perhaps been freed from something, uh, maybe you have been freed from um, something that had a hold of you, something that was hurting you, um, something that was not good for you. If you had been freed from that, um, you might agree that there is a limbo time in there, right? Like you're usually not freed from something. You're like, 
I'm in the place I want to be. Here I am. There's usually a time in there where you're trying to get to that place. You're trying to get there. For the Israelites, that was their wilderness. They were literally walking every day, trying to get to that better life, that better place for them. And God never left. He never left. He provided food. He provided water. He provided strength every single day, uh, every day living in tents, in the desert, moving, trying to get to that better place. God was there. He sustained them. He still does that. That is what they were called to celebrate during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during this feast, there were three major traditions that they would celebrate. Um, you think about Christmas. We have our Christmas traditions, right? Well, they had their Feast of Tabernacle traditions. And these three traditions were on top of the constant sacrifices and offerings and lots of eating and all the things that they did. Um, so first tradition, the water pouring ceremony. This was called in Hebrew, the Hashanah Rabbah, which means the great salvation. We read in Exodus 17 that although God, if you remember, had already provided bread on the ground every day when they would walk outside, and he'd already provided quail that just flocked to the campsites every night, ready to be killed and eaten. On top of that, um, the Israelites were still, what? Grumbling. Because they had nothing to wash it down with. They were very thirsty. And they even went to the point to say, God, obviously, just let us here to die. He just wants us to die of thirst. Yes, he just provided food every day. He provides, but he just wants us to die, obviously. So, um, in this, uh, we read that the Lord commands Moses to strike a particular rock. And guess what? Water pours from it. And that it was their great salvation on that day. They were saved. So to celebrate this moment in history in Exodus 17, on what they called the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would go to this pool called Salome, and they would draw water from it, and they would pour water over the altar while they prayed, Lord God, save us. Send us our ultimate salvation. This is the day in John 7, where it says on the last and greatest day, verse 37 of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, I know I'm backtracking a little bit, but I needed to point this out because this is a big claim. Jesus stands up and he says, you don't need that water for your great salvation. I am. I am your salvation. On top of that, Jesus is saying, if you believe in me as your salvation, guess what? 
there will be these rivers of living water that will live in you. Meaning, there will be a piece of me that lives in you. Do you see where I'm going with this? Okay, and John even says right after that, he says, they didn't get it then, but this is Jesus foreshadowing, there will be this spirit, this Holy Spirit of the living God that will be in you and will flow out of you. Yeah, the religious leaders did not like that. They did not like that. Okay, the religious leaders were like, who do you think you are? This guy just said he's salvation. What? Huh, did not like it. But water pouring ceremony, tradition number one. Second tradition is the feast of, uh, the tradition of tabernacles, ironically. Temporary tabernacles was their second huge tradition. Now, the word tabernacle means dwelling place. That's what it means. It's where you dwell. It is your shelter. Um, So for the seven nights and eight days that the Jewish people would celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles, they were called to live outside in tents, to build. My kids would love that. Don't tell my kids. They would love that. To build these temporary shelters outside of their house, and they would dwell in them. Those were their tabernacles. Um, God himself actually commanded this particular tradition. I think it's, it gives it kind of like a Bonnaroo vibe, you know, like um, Woodstock. Uh, I don't know, maybe not Woodstock. I don't know what happened to Woodstock. But, you know, it just gives it kind of like fun. Hey, we're all out here camping together. Okay. Um, This was, again, to remember their ancestors who literally lived in tents. They lived in these impermanent dwellings. um, And so they would get a taste of that for just a week. Um, Now, interestingly enough, um, some Jews today in 2021, they still do this. They build um, a temporary shelter outside their house, but they've changed the rule a little. Now you just have to eat a meal in it once a day. And it counts, but you're good to go. Um, but um, that's what they would do every year for the feast. Very important to note, when we get to the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, we have actually already, in the book of John, very intentionally seen the word tabernacle many, many times, actually. Um, John is very upfront from the very first chapter, if you recall, from months ago, uh, we read in the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and what? And dwelt among us. Literally, in the Greek, it means the Word became flesh, and tabernacled with us. The gospel writer, John, in his opening statement, he cut right to the, right to the chase. He says, you want to know where God is? You want to know uh, what this Messiah, this Christ, that all of us have been waiting for, do you know? Do you want to know what he's going to do? He's going to become flesh, and he's going to tabernacle. He's going to dwell among us. 
But of course, John, in that opening prologue, also says, there will be many who will not recognize him. They will not recognize him dwelling among us, and they will not receive him. They'll be like, not buying that. Um, So we have first tradition, great salvation of water. We have second tradition, dwelling in tabernacles. Third tradition, the illumination of the temple. I want you to imagine, what is that um, Christmas light show where they compete? What is the light fight? Is that what it's called? It's like Christmas light fight or something. I have not seen it. But basically, I want you to imagine the brightest house of Christmas lights. Okay? And then I want you to think bigger. Think much bigger. Um, Every year, they would light up the temple. And I mean light it up. Okay? I'm talking about... 75-foot candle out, candelabras, 75 feet in the air. That's how tall they were. All around the temple, candles blazing everywhere. And the, the beautiful, awesome thing about this, because this was like the most joyous moment. This is like the finale, like, oh my goodness, ta-da! Like the temple is lit up. The Jerusalem was on a hill. It was literally a city on a hill. So you had to walk up to Jerusalem, and then the temple was on a hill on a hill. So you had to walk up to Jerusalem, then you had to walk up to the temple. So when the temple was illuminated, it was literally giving light to the entire city. I mean, it was just magnificent. So you can imagine what that would look like. Um, This tradition was meant to remind them of God's Shekinah glory. His Shekinah glory is when the Lord God brought the Hebrews out of their slavery, out of Egypt. Um, He was leading them towards the promised land. And like the good shepherd that he is, as he is guiding all of these flocks of people, um, Exodus 13 tells us that God provided a pillar of cloud that would lead them by day. And he provided a pillar of fire that would lead them by night. They could travel at any moment because they did not have darkness. They just kept walking night or day towards their better place. So, the illumination of the temple is this joyous part of the celebration. And they, they remember that, that not only did the Lord God free them, but he literally guided their steps every single day, lighting their path. Now, in addition, Jews, during this celebration, they would also read passages of scripture that they had from the prophets. Because the prophets, people like Isaiah and Micah and Zechariah, they, these prophets, hundreds of years before this, kept mentioning this light. In fact, there's a passage in Isaiah that says, the people walking in darkness, they will see a great light. And on those living in deep darkness, a light will dawn. So when we see Jesus stand in front of the people in the temple as it is illuminated 
towards the end of this festival with this blazing fire. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is not a small claim. That is not just a pretty verse. I mean, it's a pretty verse. You can put it on your wall or in a picture frame and highlight in your Bible, but it's not, it's not just like a coincidence. It's not like Jesus was like, for my sermon today, ooh, light, that's a memorable metaphor. I will use light. That's nice. Yeah, that, Jesus was not doing that. He was like, yeah, that, that'll be fun. I'll use that word. John 8, 12, Jesus is claiming that God that you worship that God that you are that you are celebrating, that freed you, that saved you, that walked with you, that, that commanded you to build a tabernacle in the desert where he would dwell with you. That God that sustained you, that rescued you thousands of years ago, that God. I am He. He sent me. I'm it. I am the one. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. The religious leaders did not like that either, (laughs) by the way. The religious leaders did not like that because in just a few statements that we have just seen, Jesus has claimed himself as the fulfillment of everything that the Jews have been waiting for. Everything that they have been celebrating for thousands of years, the water drawing, the dwelling place, the illumination, every bit of it. Jesus is like, I am the living water of that salvation. Um, I'm also the rock, where it came from. Um, I I am the light. I am the dwelling place. I am from the Father. I am from the Lord. I am all of it. I always have been. I always will be. You know, this book, it just awes me. It awes me. (laughs) Like, I never tire of it. I don't read anything else. (laughs) I read this. I never tire of it because it just, it blows my mind in a great way. It makes my mind explode. You know that more than like 40, 40 writers over the course of centuries, decades, different places, different seasons, on random pieces of parchment, all over 40 writers wrote this book. And yet, somehow, they all come together and make sense. How is that possible? You could never convince me that this book is not written by God through the hands of people. How did, we, how did we get here? How did we get this? And God, if we, and 
when we look through all of these passages very quickly, we will realize that Jesus does not only prove himself the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus proves himself the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. They all point to him. Jesus is like, y'all think you're celebrating. You think you're celebrating the Lord God for that? Well, you are, and it's me too. You think you're celebrating what the Lord God did for you in all of those seasons years ago? I was there too. That's me. I am all the things. He is our shelter. He is our strength. He sustains us. He saves us. He is our bread from heaven. He is our cup poured out for us. He is the love. He is all that is good. There is not one thing in this earth that does not speak his name in some way. Not one thing. Because he made it all. There's a a verse in Ephesians 4 and it says, the Lord God is above all and he is in all And he is through all. In fact, it's interesting because it is actually humans in a lot of ways that have divided things into secular and sacred. But the line between secular and sacred is really, we made that. We really made that. Because he made all of it. And the goodness of him is in everything. We... (laughs) Uh, we're actually the ones that we think that we've taken God out of things. God's like, joke's on you. I'm still there. <laughs> You're not taking me out. Okay. Jonah actually thought that thousands of years ago. Jonah was like, there is a place on earth that I could go to get away from God. And God's like, no, that's cute. Not really. You can't go anywhere without me. I am love. I am all of it. Sometimes I feel like when I approach a scripture for, for a message on Sunday, you know, sometimes it's geared towards, um, like, self-help in some ways, right? Like, sometimes you, you read a passage and you're like, oh, yeah, like, three ways to, you know, better my relationships, or these are the four ways for me to find freedom, and whatever. You know, um, I don't really have a word for you like that today. I really don't. Um, Because honestly, um, this passage today, it it just makes me worship who God is. It just makes me go, whoa, wow. Like, what a planner. What a... What a, a interweaver. What a, what a way maker you are. Like what, what forethought? I mean, I know that past, present, and future are nothing to you because you see all the things, but like, wow. It, it just makes me in awe. It just makes me worship him. Um, Because 
He is with us every step of the way. And it's in our physical ways, you know, like in our actual personal wildernesses, those temporary deserts on earth, he's there. Um, even when we grumble, he's just there providing. But then he's also with us like spiritually, eternally, forever. Like he has a plan for that too. He has all the plans. And um, I just, you know what I think is that if we spend more time sitting, standing, uh, just trying to know his majesty, uh, his mightiness, just seeking him for how mysterious, like mysterious he is, um, the more we get to know him, I believe we will not be able to help ourselves but be transformed. Just, we won't be able to help it. It will just, it will, it will flow out of us. It will just, it will change us. That's just what he does when we are devoted to him. And the more that that, that spirit of him is in us and we don't quench it, we help it come alive. The more that we do that, the more that that happens, the less that we're going to be looking all over the world for like this podcast and this book and this self-help advice column and this website or whatever. Like the more we're, we're not going to be looking for that because we realize we already have the answer. We already have the answer in him. Because it's, it's just who he is. Like, the more we realize who he is, the more we realize he is the answer. And that worshiping him and pledging allegiance to him and being devoted and acknowledging him, acknowledging him in all that we do in our lives, that's our answer. That is the answer. So as we celebrate communion today um, with this ordinary bread, though it was made by love, with love, um, this ordinary bread, this ordinary cup, um, may we find ourselves feeling like we're on holy ground. We're always on holy ground because he made the ground. (laughs) We are on holy ground today. Um, may we be so grateful and joyous. You know, we don't have Christmas lights. We're not illuminating Grace Church, but man, there's a lot of light in here and, and there's a lot in you and I know it. May we feel that joy today as we celebrate. Um, and may we take these moments and may we go out into life And remember and call on him and go, God, you really are the fulfillment in every single one of these areas. Like, help me see it. There is light. There is light of God all around us. And we just, we are blinded. Help us not be blinded. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are the God of healing. You're the God of comfort. You're the God of mercy. You're the God of forgiveness. You're the God that wants to give us a new way. 
You want to give us a new way in our personal lives, in our relationships, in our homes, in ourselves, in our own minds? You want to give us a new way. And it's a way that looks like you. It's a way that imitates you. Lord God, we praise your name. Sometimes we get so caught up in making you about us <laughs> and what we need for the day and, and you know what answer we need that we, we just forget to acknowledge you and lift our eyes to the hills and see your light. Maybe that for us today, for some of us, that's just what we need to do. We need to look up at you and go, God, you are the living water. And I don't know exactly how that works, but I, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to start seeking you deeper in a bigger way. Not just on Sundays, but in every day, because you make every day sacred. We are called to live your son every day. Because Lord God, where we live and work and play, those are sacred places with sacred people that you created in your image and they may not have a clue. So may we be those people that have the little light of life within us. Rivers of living water from your son in us, flowing out of us. Lord God, you are the God that empowers. And every one of us has opportunities in front of us to empower ourselves and to empower our children and our families and our friends and our coworkers towards something good of you. May we do that with faithfulness. May we do that with intentionality. Lord God, you call each one of us by name. We are yours. Guide us. You are the God that has always guided. You are the God that's guiding us now. May we see it. May we see you. And may we praise your name. And it's in your glorious son, Jesus, the most powerful name. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.